Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews with your host, Aaron Martell. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil sends the beast with wrath because he knows the time is short. Let him who hath understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 666. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where I talk about and review a rock album of my choice. Today I'm flying solo, no co-pilots. But if you're listening and you're interested in coming on the show to review an album with me, I'm always on the lookout for co-pilots to host a podcast with me. There's a couple of ways to get in touch with me, which I'll go over at the end of the show. So this is episode two, and today I'm going to talk about an album that's very important in the history of heavy metal, Iron Maiden's 1982 album, The Number of the Beast. Iron Maiden is one of my favorite bands, and this is one of their greatest records, no doubt. I knew of Maiden as a kid in the early 80s, but at the time, I just wasn't ready for them. I knew they had cool-ass album covers with their zombie mascot, Eddie, but I never listened to any of their music. They were too scary or whatever. Then in 1984, I was at a carnival, you know, one of those traveling carnivals that go from town to town, and I played one of those games where you throw a dart at a row of balloons, and if you popped a balloon, you had a choice of prizes, which in this case were t-shirts with different bands on them. I'm 14 at the time, and I won. I popped a balloon, and I picked a Van Halen t-shirt because at that point, I was huge into Van Halen, and I was really getting into harder rocking music than the Top 40 stuff that was on the radio. I didn't know about any rock radio stations yet. But the kid who ran the game, the carnival worker, he had to be in his late teens or early 20s. He had an old beat-up boombox, and he was playing a cassette tape of this heavy music I'd never heard before. But it grabbed me right away, and the kid kept playing the tape through and flipping it over and over, so the album kept playing through over and over. And I so dug this music, I hung around the booth listening to it in my Van Halen t-shirt, and finally I looked at the tape as the kid was switching it over, and it said, Iron Maiden Peace of Mind. And I thought, this is Iron Maiden? This is fucking awesome! I left the carnival thinking I needed to get some Maiden, but for some reason I can't explain, I just never got around to buying any Maiden records. There was just a lot of music I was picking up, and somehow, inexplicably, they just slipped through the cracks. Cut to 1986, and the album Somewhere in Time comes out. I saw the video for the song Wasted Years, and I loved it, so I said to myself, enough's enough, I'm getting some Maiden. I got Somewhere in Time on vinyl, even though I was mostly buying cassettes because I just wanted that huge album cover, and I love the unholy frig out of that album to this day. Now I'm an Iron Maiden fan at this point, and from there I started acquiring the back catalog, and eventually I bought the number of the beast. I knew a good number of the songs because I already had Live After Death, so it didn't take long for this album to sink its teeth into me. So there's my history with Iron Maiden and how I discovered this album. Now I'll give you some stats about the number of the beast ripped straight from Wikipedia. And listeners, I know Wiki sometimes has incorrect information, and the internet has a lot of factual errors, so if I say something wrong or make a mistake, feel free to correct me. I don't have a problem with that. I'm human, you know? So here we go. The number of the beast is the third studio album by the English heavy metal band Iron Maiden, released in March 1982 on the EMI label around the world and the Harvest label in North America. It was their first release to feature vocalist Bruce Dickinson, and their last with drummer Clive Burr. 
It was produced by Martin Birch and recorded January through February 1982 at Battery Studios, London, England. It was their first album to reach number one on the UK Albums Chart and reached number 33 on the Billboard 200. It was awarded platinum by the British Phonographic Industry and is certified platinum by the RIAA. Now let's go over the lineup card for this album, because Iron Maiden have had a few lineup changes over the years, and there was a huge one for this record. We've got Bruce Dickinson on lead vocals, Dave Murray on guitar, Adrian Smith on guitar and backing vocals, Steve Harris on bass guitar and backing vocals, and Clive Burr on drums. It's time to move into the track by track, so let's start things off with Invaders, written by Steve Harris. It's a fast, hard-charging metal song. The music fits the lyrics about Viking raiders in medieval times and the devastation and the havoc that they wreaked. Uh, lyrically, it reminds me a little bit of Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin, at least thematically. I do like the pre-chorus with its choppy riff, but the chorus isn't the greatest. It has an ascending, then descending riff with Bruce wailing, Invaders! But this is the debut of Bruce Dickinson as vocalist for Iron Maiden. The first two Maiden records had Paul Deano as vocalist, and I like him a lot. He brings a punky vibe and energy to the songs. And now there's some conflicting stories about how and why he left the band. Was he fired? Did he quit? Uh, you hear things like substance abuse problems. You hear that he was burnt out from singing all those gigs. And also that Steve Harris wanted to write more complicated material and he didn't think that Paul's voice could handle it. I know some fans who prefer Paul's voice and think the first two Maiden albums are the best but it's clear that Bruce brought another dimension to the band and its songwriting. When you compare vocalists, Paul's voice has a vibe where Bruce brings more an operatic, like kind of thing. I know that's pretty bad, but that's how I hear it. Overall, I like Invaders, it's good, but I'm not sure this is the best opening track for this album. I have problems with the sequencing on this album overall, but at least it's a high energy track to get things going. Next, it's Children of the Damned, written by Steve Harris. This one begins a little bit quieter. The verses have acoustic guitars and Bruce's singing is a little bit quieter, but then it turns into a big loud choruses with a great heavy riff under Bruce's soaring vocals. And finally, toward the end of the song, the music revs up and you get some good twin guitar harmonies that the band is known for. Finally, into an even faster paced drum rolling by Clive Burr and Bruce sounds even more dramatic, very effective. There's a sing-along whoa hook that I love. The lyrics are based on a 1964 British science fiction film called Children of the Damned. Apparently six children around the world are born with mysterious powers. They're brought to London and the government has to decide what to do with them. The children end up murdering some people and the government has to decide whether they'd want to kill them or not. Back to the song, there's lots of burning and fire references. Overall, I love this song. I consider it a lesser Maiden classic, but for me, it's right up there. We move on now to the third song, The Prisoner 
written by Adrian Smith and Steve Harris. audio clip from the British TV show The Prisoner, and lyrically the song is inspired by the show. The prisoners are held in a village and they're assigned numbers instead of names. Beyond that there are themes of free will and being controlled by the powers that be of society. The music is fast and hard rocking, it has excellent solos in it, a very catchy chorus. I dig this tune a lot too, it keeps the flow of the album going, and the album is really starting to find its groove. The last song on side one, or track number four depending on how you're listening to it, is 22 Acacia Avenue, written by Steve Harris and Adrian Smith. sequel to the song Charlotte the Harlot off the first album. Charlotte is a prostitute, the narrator gives you the information about her, but then he also tries to convince her to give up the life and leave with him. He points out that her chosen profession is destroying her life and she's throwing it all away. It's a good rocking tune, maybe not as memorable as some of the other songs on here. Steve's bass is up front and prominent as always when the song switches gears in the second part, playing in unison with the guitars. It slows down for the solo section, then it speeds back up. This is a good song. I like it. But compared to some of the other tracks on this album, I feel it is on the lesser half of the overall songs. Let's flip the record over or press track number five. We've got the title track, The Number of the Beast, written by Steve Harris. This one is an undisputed Maiden classic. It opens with a biblical passage from Revelation, spoken by actor Barry Clayton. The guitar and bass come in playing that memorable riff. Bruce sings like he's telling a spooky story, and he is. It builds and builds, then the drums kick in and Bruce lets out the scream of screams. Then the song kicks into gear and Bruce tells his tale of stumbling across a satanic ritual. Or is it just some kind of crazy dream? Steve said it was inspired by a nightmare he had after watching the movie Damien the Omen 2. It's also based on a poem, Tam O'Shanter, by Robert Burns. The music is propulsive and brings the story to life, has another tremendous chorus. The satanic content plus the album cover got the band branded as Satanists, especially in the U.S. Of course, it's absurd. The album cover is cool. It depicts Eddie. He's pulling the strings of Satan, which is that classic depiction of Satan. He's all red. He's got the pointy tail and the trident. But Satan is also pulling Eddie's strings. So who's controlling who, huh? Hmm, who knows? And of course all this shit backfired as it gave the band more publicity. This song is a metal classic and one of the great metal songs of all time. Now we move on to Run to the Hills written by Steve Harris.
this opens with an iconic drum beat from Clive Burr. Yeah, I'm a drummer. Then the guitars and bass harmonize an iconic riff as Bruce sings from the perspective of Native Americans, describing the cruelties of the European settlers who violently took over their lands. The song kicks into the trademark maiden fast rhythmic gallop they use in so many of their songs over the years, and Bruce changes to the point of view of the Europeans. The lyrics are brutal and lead into another iconic soaring chorus. The song gallops along and doesn't let up until after the guitar solo, when the beat drops softer and the guitars and bass harmonize in ascending passage, and Bruce builds up to another spectacular scream into the final chorus. This song is fantastic. It's another Maiden classic. It's another all-time metal classic. I can't imagine somebody being an Iron Maiden fan and not liking this song. It's that good. Just fucking yeah. The next song is Gangland, written by Adrian Smith and Clive Burr. song starts with another frenetic drum beat, but this time the main riff doesn't grab me like the other songs in this album do. Bruce Dickinson is singing about a former gang member who's left and started a family, but he's always looking over his shoulder for his old gang buddies coming after him. The lyrics do communicate this guy's fear, but overall this song feels a little bit mailed in. Even Steve Harris has kind of admitted that this one is a little bit weak. Most Maiden fans think that this is the weak point of the record, and I agree. This is Aaron Stinky Stinker. And it's the only song I don't care for on the record. And now for the last track on the record, Hallowed Be Thy Name, written by Steve Harris. Sort of error, how to stop the surmounting terror? Is it really the end, not some crazy This song begins with a bell sounding and Steve's bass playing with it, with an ominous guitar figure playing underneath it, with Bruce singing with dread and doom in his voice. This song is about a condemned man about to go to the gallows and the thoughts that are racing through his head. The song kicks up a notch and Bruce's delivery becomes more urgent. He's questioning everything he's known and his own spirituality. The music powerfully chugs along as Bruce tells his tale. Then it goes into another lengthy and phenomenal head-banging instrumental passage that closes out the song. This song is a maiden epic, with many sections put together seamlessly and it hits all the right notes. This is another one of Iron Maiden's greatest songs. This is my own personal favorite. This band played this song in almost all of their tours since the record's release. I think there was one or two that they didn't. All you Maiden historians would know better than I. But recently they've dropped it from the set because of a lawsuit. Apparently some of the lyrics were lifted from a 1973 song, Life's Shadow, from a band called Beckett. Never heard of the band, I've never heard this song. Steve saw this band and took some of the lyrics. Apparently long ago the band settled with the songwriter of that song, that's Life's Shadow, but apparently another songwriter has come out of the woodwork and is suing Maiden. I hope this shit can get all resolved because this song needs to be back in the set list. As I said before, this is my favorite Iron Maiden song of all time. It's a perfect way to end the record. 
and I think most fans agree that this is one of their top tracks. Now the track by track is over, and I'm going to move into my album ratings for The Number of the Beast. It's a simple 0 to 5 system, with 0 being an absolute piece of shit, and 5 being one of my favorite records. As I said earlier, this album isn't perfect, and I would sequence the songs differently. First, I'd take out Gangland, and I'd replace it with a song made and recorded at the Beast Sessions called Total Eclipse. better song in my opinion, and even Steve Harris admitted that Total Eclipse should have been on the album and Gangland relegated to a B-side, which is what they ended up doing with Total Eclipse as the B-side, to the Run to the Hills single. Also, I'd take Invaders out as the opening track, as I think it's a good song, but it doesn't deserve to be the first thing you hear on this album. If it were up to me, I'd put the title track first. I feel that woe to you part would be cool to start the record with. Other than that, I wouldn't have too many changes to make. So my revised Number of the Beast goes like this. Number one, The Number of the Beast. Two, Children of the Damned. Three, The Prisoner. Four, 22 Acacia Avenue. Five, Run to the Hills. Six, Invaders. Seven, Total Eclipse. And eight, Hallowed Be Thy Name. I've made a playlist of this and I've listened to it and I like it a lot better. So how would you resequence this album? I'd love to hear from you what you think. All that said, I fucking love this album. I think I've given a little short shrift to the guitar players. I haven't even mentioned Dave Murray, but Dave Murray and Adrian Smith are just tremendous on this. Clive Burr is just incredible on this record. He really goes out with a bang. Rest in peace, Clive. This album has my three favorite Iron Maiden songs on it. I'm not one of those cool guys who only likes the deep cuts, the hits are overplayed. Fuck that. A great song is a great song, and my three favorite Iron Maiden songs in order are Hallow Be Thy Name, Run to the Hills, and The Number of the Beast. Just based on that alone, this record gets a five from me. On most days, it's my favorite Maiden album, and it's always at least in my top three. This is one of the greatest and iconic metal records of all time, and history has borne that out, I think. So this album gets the five. Now, as I like to do, I want to give a shout out to a podcast that I enjoy listening to. This week, it's another music-based podcast. It's the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with Ralph and Ian. Those guys are hilarious. They talk about a lot of classic metal and rock. Sometimes they're even going to talk about records that I talk about here. But they've been doing it a lot longer. They're way funnier. They hate Sammy Hagar, but they do bring a lot of knowledge to the music they're talking about. Give them a listen the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. I dig it. And that's going to do it for this episode. I'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast, and I'm looking for suggestions on albums to cover and co-pilots to come on the show and talk rock albums with me. I can be reached at Ridiculous Rock Records, one word, Ridiculous Rock Records at gmail.com, or you can post your comments and requests on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page. And lastly, here at R4, we thank you so much for giving this a listen, and a massive thank you if you like and support the show. Take care, and I'll catch you later.
drums kick in, and Bruce lets out the scream of screams. Da 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 da! Yeah. <laughs>